Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned into the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison, and you're listening to Archivos Insights. Archivos Insights is an opportunity to sit down with the veteran storytellers, the pioneers, uh, the trailblazers who have gone before us into the vast, untracked wilderness of creative mojo and storytelling awesomeness, and then return to share their wisdom and their insights with us in the endless quest for us to improve our own craft as storytellers. And as always, dear friends, the Archivos Podcast Network is brought to you by Archivos. What a shock. The story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Uh, And friends, yes, once again, I am flying solo. I know, I know, I promised last week that Marie Bilodeau, my customary co-host and and mischief maker in in crime and shenanigans, uh, would be back this time around. Sadly, she could not be here, but uh, uh, she did record a message for the listeners. And, And let me, let me just cue that up and I'll play that right now. Dear listeners, I want you to know that I, Marie Bilodeau, have not been murdered by Dave Robison. You will know this by this message recorded on November 3rd, 2017. Let this be an obvious sign that I am indeed still alive and well. I wish you all a lovely, lovely November day. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? That's probably not the, the, the message I intended to, to, to share with you all. <laughs> Marie, she's such a prankster. Uh, I Really, she's, she's not dead, and, and she will be back uh, uh, in the next round of interviews. I swear, I promise. Oh, please. Uh, but for now, let me introduce you, dear friends, to our guest host for this episode of Archibos Insights. And actually, friends, if you're, if you're anticipating a long stalkerish intro of our guest host, I will have to direct your attention back to our September 16th episode where I rendered unto the potosphere uh, uh, a you know, if I do say so myself, rather brilliant uh, uh, encapsulation of her life and achievements. However, I can tell you this. Our guest host for this episode has achieved that which many writers aspire to, but few can claim. No, I'm not referring to her 2017 Hugo nomination for Best Fan Cast for Ditch Diggers, her podcast with the newly nuptialized Matt Wallace, where they confront and explore the realities of being a professional writer in the modern age. No, I'm, I'm not referring to her contributing stories to Max Gladstone's fabulous book burners saga for Serial Box. It, no, no, it's it's not the fact that her shambling guide to New York City and Ghost Train to New Orleans novels both won the Manny Wade Wellman Award and have been optioned by Netflix. It, it's not that. It's no. No, it's not that one of her stories appears in the latest Star Wars anthology from a certain point of view alongside Chuck Wendig, Daniel Jose Older, Nettie Okorafor, and Delilah S. Dawson. It's it's not that her podcast, I Should Be Writing, is rapidly approaching 400 episodes and was recently released as a book into the world. 
It, nor is it that her sci-fi murder thriller Six Wakes is out in the world earning praise and delight from all who encounter it. And it's not for her John W. Campbell Award for the Best New Writer in 2013 or that she's editor for Escape Pod, one of the most badass sci-fi fiction podcasts in the podosphere, or that she's written for White Wolf, Exalted, and a host of other role-playing games. Gang, it's that she's achieved being a guest host on this podcast three times, which after recounting that litany of awesomeness may sound like small potatoes to some, but for us here at the Archivos Podcast Network, it means the world. Dear friends, please welcome back to the big comfy chair here in the Archivos Podcast Virtual Studios, Mer Lafferty. Mer, it is, you know, the trifecta. This is your third time on the show, which is no small achievement and certainly a point of great delight and appreciation for us. Thank you so much, ma'am, for making the time. You know, I've decided that um, if you ever find yourself in need of employment, I'm going to hire you to announce me whenever I walk into a room. <laughs> that's that's my new that's my new goal. I'm going to make enough money to just have you as my announcer. You go with me wherever I go, and like grocery shopping. You're just going to walk into the grocery store, announce that I'm here, and then I'll go grocery shopping. You don't have to help me. All you got to do is announce me. Carry around that, a little, that's all I need. Carry around a little speaker system on back. I could be mic'd up and just let it boom out across aisle six. Mer Lafferty is in the vegetable section. Boom. I love it. I think it'll work. I really think this is a good thing for my career. And and for mine as well, clearly, because it's always good to have a backup in case this podcast yeah. thing doesn't work out, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Mer, welcome back. And and before we dive into into the fabulosity of having conversations with you, as it usually is, I just I, I stumbled across a bit of information that I'm not sure I included in my stalkerish intro, which kind of blew my mind. Uh, uh, it's that you were very close to becoming a sports writer, and that you worked on the sports desk for your college newspaper. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. You didn't know that? I did yeah. not know yeah, that. I, was a, I wanted to be a sports journalist. <laughs> Did you, how far did you get down that road? I started taking journalism school classes, and I was on the college, uh, I was on the Daily Tar Heel UNC sports desk, and two things kind of happened. One was I discovered in my journalism ethics course that I'm not really cut out to be a reporter. <laughs> it was the ethics like, aspect that, that, that kind of threw you? It was. It was scary, actually, because it was one of those classes where I totally thought I had grasp on it. And then I made a I, I just I didn't pass the course at a level where I could continue in the J school. I would have had to take it again. But it was one of those things where I did not know what I got wrong. I couldn't even fathom <laughs> what I'd gotten wrong because I thought I did well. It's not like, this is a hard question. I don't know if I got the answer right. I'm like, I got this. And then I just was awful. Another class had me cover. I had to do other stuff besides sports stuff. I had to cover a crime. So I decided to cover a a gas station holdup. And nobody would give me any comments. And I didn't understand why. And then I realized that I had the wrong story. The story wasn't the fact that the gas station was held up. The story was the fact that the clerk chased the guy out with the machete and was now being countersued. And I, that never occurred to me that that was the real story. Here. Blew right by I just you. thought, yeah. One of the big things that got me was my, um, 
I really respected my editor, the editor of the sports desk. He was amazing. And when I heard he was going, when he graduated to a small town newspaper to get a job on their sports desk and make pennies a year, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but still, it, it, it just got me like, if, if I respect him at this level and he's getting that job, what kind of job am I going to get? And <laughs> those, all of those factors made me go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to literature and because there's so many jobs in that field. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly you, you definitely traded up in terms of yeah. your employability in that regard. Exactly. But, but I did I did leave the J school after those those couple of things kind of showed me that that even though I'd wanted to be a reporter my whole life, I really wasn't cut out for it because, you know, going up to people, jamming the mic in their face and asking them the tough questions is not in my personality at all. <laughs> and yet here you are coming up on episode, what is it, almost 400, 380 something for, for I Should Be Writing, where you've been. Well, sure, but I don't go on and I go like, okay, about that plagiarism scandal a couple of years ago, let's go in about that. No, I don't do that. That's the kind of thing like the investigative reporters do Right. that, that I don't have the personality for. Sure. I'm, I'm not doing exposés of authors on my show. <laughs> no, we're, we're not probing wounds and exactly. sensitive psychoses. Yes, good point. Good point. Uh, but there's still that that quest for the truth uh, uh, and and discovering something that is hidden amid words or ideas or concepts that you can wrestle out and and put up in lights for other people to derive pleasure or wisdom from. Oh, definitely. And it, it's kind of scary, as you said, I'm almost up to 400 episodes and yeah. I, I feel like I've probably already said everything that needs <laughs> to be said and I've interviewed people and while everybody's story is different, everyone they kind of say the same things and when it comes to advice because really the advice to write, be a writer is to write. <laughs> and, and yes, there's there's different things. And I just interviewed Grant Faulkner from NaNoWriMo and yeah. he came up with a couple of really interesting things, uh, including telling me that, that Barbara Kingsolver starts her books with minus page 100 because Ooh. she knows she's going to throw out the first hundred pages because that's all warm up. <laughs> and that blew my mind. You know, a lot of people have the whole, okay, going five pages into your short story. Okay. Your story starts here or, you know, right. two chapters in, but no, Barbara Kingsolver anticipates this and goes on. But, but, but then I have to remember that not everybody has listened from episode one. So <laughs> right. creative repetition of old messages is is really what i have to to worry about sure well and and also context changes i mean when you were writing in episode one it was a very different world uh and a very it different was. genre and a very different publishing industry and as we continue to evolve in strange and unusual ways, you know, those those old chestnuts of writer's rights and, you know, you, it's OK to suck on your first draft and all of those things. They suddenly take on a different meaning and relevance as the culture and the industry changes. Yeah, no kidding. Self-publishing was not even a thing I know. when I got started. And <laughs> hey, here's, you know, your, the idea here's of, your geritol in your walker, Murr. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> when I think, you know, you think about self-publishing, you think about, I remember thinking about publishing my stuff via podcast was so revolutionary. Right. And, you know, I, I love I, I love the idea that, that people say I'm a, a pioneer in podcasting, but I will say I would not have done it if not for Scott Ziegler and T. Morris 
doing it and showing that that you can get success and now granted success is a moving moving goalpost <laughs> moving goalposts and, and a qualified term but yes yeah but basically seeing what they could what they achieved in self-publishing via podcast really got me going but yeah it was very different back then yeah it was it was. And actually, let's let's go ahead. We've, we've kind of already started the interview process. I, I don't know how that happened, but that's awesome. Uh, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and actually formally set the clock uh, just so that we, we can hold ourselves to a standard or at least try to. We'll see. Um, and let, let's actually continue that vibe a little bit, because, you know, talking about what you learned uh, uh, and the advice that you're giving and, and the, the, the context for I Should Be Writing and now Ditch Diggers as well with Matt Wallace. Fabulous podcast, friends, if you haven't tuned in. You've done something that I don't think anybody else has done with their, uh, certainly their writing podcast. And you literally took that and turned it into a book. There is a book, friends, on Amazon called I Should Be Writing, a workshop. And you can literally buy this book and turn pages of I Should Be Writing. So first off, Murr, fabulous for, for stepping out and, and blazing that particular trail. Um, so I, I do want to ask, what kind of feedback or response have you gotten from that? Uh, and, and we can explore deeper. What I'm mostly looking for, looking forward to asking you is, is what you learned in having to take hundreds of hours of rambling verbiage and trust me i know whereof i speak uh, uh and distilling it down into something cogent uh or at least semi-cogent and in print but but how has the world responded to i should be writing the book um well i'm i haven't gotten a whole lot of feedback uh we had a couple of hiccups on launch day and i'm not quite sure how the distribution has gone, which has been a little disappointing. But um, the Barnes and Noble blog just listed it as like, if you want to do an MFA course, your own MFA course in science fiction writing, get these thirteen books, and it included I should be writing, which shocked the heck out of me because <laughs> um, it was also you know Chuck Wendig had a book on there. They had On Writing by Stephen King. They had Storyteller by Kate Wilhelm, which is not well known. But I've read it, and Kate Wilhelm was one of the people who started the Clarion Writers Workshop. Wow. So it's it's her book is amazing, and you know just to be in a class with with Stephen King and Kate Wilhelm and Ursula K. Le Guin and Chuck Wendig was was baffling and awesome. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very proud of the book. I went. I, I was actually. Oh, this 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 doesn't sound like what you're supposed to say as a writer, but I was surprised <laughs> at how easy it was to write. And I think it's because I th- th- there was no questions or plot twists or character <laughs> development. I've done nonfiction before, but this is also something that I know intimately because I've been talking about it since 2005. Right. So um, I just needed to take some of the basic lessons and sometimes I go through the the difficult lessons you know the stuff people don't want to hear mainly I break down the math of the coveted six-figure trilogy book deal and say you really probably will earn more money working fast food in, over the three years <laughs> than you think than than in the six-figure deal over three years but you know I, I talk about my own past which is fun because I've done another uh, nonfiction book about 
podcasting and I, I was trying a lot of times I would try to explain, okay, early days of podcasting, I did X and it failed miserably. And so I learned that Y is a better way to go. And I thought that was the whole, you know, that's how people learn. You you try, you fail, you learn, you do something different. But my editor kept telling me that that we want you to come across as an expert. And if you keep talking about all these mistakes you made, you don't come across as an expert. And so, so I clearly was, he doesn't understand the Merle Lafferty brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, with the writing book, I you know that brand of I should be writing is all about the mistakes I've made and what I've learned. So I was able to honestly address some of those things and cover that kind of stuff. So it once I had agreed with the publisher on the outline and what we're going to go for the table of contents and all that stuff, uh, it went pretty fast. I was, I was surprised and very uh, happy because, you know, my other recent book, Six Wakes, took forever to write. <laughs> well, as you observed, uh, uh, you know, nonfiction versus fiction. Uh, I would imagine, uh, actually, that, that might be an interesting exploration to get into, uh, uh, the, the, the distinction between the two, because you know, nonfiction has a structure, but as you just said, it's mostly just the table of contents. And mm-hmm. while there may be an evolution and a layering of ideas and mastery and concepts as you move through the book, you're, you're not, you know, weaving a taut tale of drama and mystery or clone murders, as the case may be, uh, right. through, through your nonfiction. And, and I guess also you could say you didn't know Six Wakes as well as you knew your subject matter for the I Should Be Writing Exactly. Book. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. The, the the other thing about nonfiction, though, is that you have to prove yourself, in, in the publisher's eyes at least, you have to prove yourself a credible expert in the field. You can't say, you know what, I, I like my dog. I want to write a big nonfiction book about dogs. And then your query letter says, you know, I like dogs a lot. So I wrote this book, you know, and agent's going to go, no. Yeah. Go, no. Go, go talk to the chicken soup people, please. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, uh, you know, this has been out in the world for a while and, and I've certainly experienced it in my own writing. I'm sure you do too. That, 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 Oh, so keen desire. Oh, God, I wish I could go back and add this or fix this or anything like that. Are there any tidbits like that in the I Should Be Writing book that 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 keep you up at night? They don't really keep me up at night. I developed a sort of devil, angel, good cop, bad cop kind of persona that is not in the I Should Be Writing podcast called The Muse and the Bully. And they comment frequently throughout the book where the bully is your inner editor and it says all the things that you think to yourself and gives you all the bad advice while the muse is very gung-ho, attaboy, keep working, that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, because that was, that was like, that, that actually was the new thing in the book is, is this bully and muse thing. And I think I would have liked to flesh them out a little bit more actually because um, I was kind of going off the cuff with them, and I was really happy with the way that went, but I think I would have liked to have included more now that I, once I got into writing them, it was one of those things where I warmed up about halfway through, and I edited the early stuff to be consistent, but I think I would like to do more with them. 
I could see um, that being a very effective tool because we all have that that dark sinister voice that is that is plaguing us with our 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 lack of worth and our our lack of credentials and doing whatever the hell it is we're doing but we also have those rah-rah cheerleader you know the memes that are out there in the world you can do it you got this yeah yeah and some of that advice is is very good some of it's pure pap as far as that goes but Mm -hmm. we all fall somewhere in the middle and yeah. and being aware of those two polar extremes and not I think what you did, Mur, by by putting them in the margins, making them the, the the context through which you presented your stories, you pulled them out of the shadows, out of the subconscious, and gave us the opportunity to look them in the eye, recognize them for what they are, and then make our own choice. Mm-hmm. Which is really kind of badass, really. I, I I agree. I would love to see that expanded even further, especially as we were talking earlier about how things have changed over time uh, uh, with with the pres- with the advent and influence of social media and and self publishing and and the hybrid models. There's so many terrains to navigate now. It used to be so much simpler. Yeah, but simple meant that there was like. Uh, I'm simplifying it here, but really, simple meant one door and one way in. And there are so many more doors now and so many more opportunities. So while it is more challenging because it's it's frankly just you you have to learn so much more, it's still a lot better than it was. Right. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Merle Lafferty after this brief promotional break. It's National Novel Writing Month, people, and if you're taking the 50,000-word NaNoWriMo challenge, then you gotta start prepping, and I mean now. Archivos wants to help. From now until November 30th, any registered NaNoWriMo participant can get three months of Archivos absolutely free. Three months of all the story documentation, mapping, and timeline features, all the displays, everything you need to really wrap your head around your story totally free. With Archivos, you can look NaNoWriMo in the eye and say, I got this. Learn more about scoring three months of Archivos absolutely free at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Murr Lafferty. Well, let, let's change gears a little bit here, Murr. Um, uh, you had mentioned that you, you recently had Grant Faulkner on the I Should Be Writing podcast. Uh, yes. Friends, for those of you who don't know, this is the executive director at NaNoWriMo.org, uh, uh, the evil genius uh, uh, who's, who's, who, for whom we all dance uh, <laughs> during this wonderful, yeah. wonderful month we're in the middle of right now. And I was delighted to, to learn that you're NaNoing this year. I am. I'm trying it again. <laughs> you, uh, you and Nano have a checkered past. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I believe in it. I think it's wonderful for established and beginning writers alike. And I've never won. <sighs> so it's, you know, my, my excuses are usually there's the fact that November, 
you know, it's it's funny. Last year I had Grant on, and I'm just like, why November? I know people around the world do it, but it's called National Novel Writing Month. So with the U.S. in mind, why don't they consider uh, Thanksgiving? And he's like, name me a month where nothing else happens. And I'm, you know, I gave him September, but you know, that's when school starts. March. And so that that March may or may not have oh, Easter. Easter. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where they couldn't find a good month, so, so it became November. But I. I came closest last year at, at 45,000 words, and I was, I was happy with that number. Some people may say, that was so close, you must be disappointed. And I'm just like, nope, I, I was, <laughs> got farther than I ever had before. Good um, mindset. I'm doing it again this year. My agent and I decided to sell my next novel on spec, meaning I'm writing the whole thing. I'm not trying to sell it on proposal because, frankly, I suck at proposals. <laughs> I'm much better at writing the book learning all the little secrets about what happens in the book as I write it. And then, so she thinks, well, it'll be easier to sell a book if I write it first. Okay, Mer, the problem there I, I, is, I have a proposal, just real quick. If you, want to, if you ever do a proposal in the future, let me deliver it. Okay. I'll, I'll announce you, right? I can I can go into the front desk. This is the proposal of Mer Lafferty. And I, I guarantee nice. you they'll pick you up. They'll totally pick you up. I'm sorry. I love it. <laughs> Interrupted you. Carry on. So I'm, I'm writing my own book again. And the problem here is that since I don't have a publisher, I don't have a deadline. And it's really hard for me to get mm. moving on the words, especially with other projects going right. on. Right. So NaNoWriMo is a good way to force me to get that word count. Sure. Excellent. I mean, it's, it's a self, it's, it's a, it's a objective uh, uh, deadline that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are, are, are honoring this year. So uh-huh. you can, you can be a part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and, and was- I am the uh, NaNoWriMo coach next week. So I'll be running the NaNoWriMo uh Twitter feed. Oh, holy and crap. doing chats and stuff. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, this episode is actually going to drop November 14th. So oh, okay. that so will be like I you have just been. I was coach last week. <laughs> <laughs> and it went great. It was awesome. <laughs> I, have, I have acquired prescience. I can see the future. Yes, it's going to be fabulous. Actually, I'm sure it will, Mur. If, if, if nothing else, having, having you as a coach with your experience both in terms of writing stories and with Nano, uh, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd want you as a coach just because you could be very alert to the things that would would disrupt my word count, would disrupt my discipline, would disrupt my, my sense of what it is I'm doing here. Uh, yeah. You're going to be a fabulous coach. Thank you. I'm, I'm curious, uh, friends, the interview with Grant Faulkner on I Should Be Writing is superb, and I, I highly recommend you check it out. I'm, I'm curious, Mur, you've done this before. You will doubtless do it again. What are you doing differently this year as opposed to previous years? Well, I'm prioritizing my word count, which is funny because we're recording. It's about 2 o'clock local time right now, and I still haven't written today. But I am prioritizing <laughs> my word count in theory, and... I had an epiphany recently of of happiness being learning that happiness is work. Happiness is not to be happy. You have to do work, and that's not saying the work is bad. I'm just saying that people find they're happier if they say go out and exercise than if they sit on the couch. But they think they'll be happier sitting on the couch because sitting on the couch is comfortable. But this is it's. I have a long screed on it, but 
I, I did learn this past weekend when I had, like, I went for a run. I, I had a confronted some social anxieties that I'd had, and I got a lot of words down. And I realized at the end of the day, I felt great. And remembering that, that, that happiness is actually work. And so I'm trying to take this mindset and, and put it into my work, knowing that people don't want to write. They want to have written. But <laughs> once you have written, you can be, you know, you're, you're usually happy. You, you feel accomplished. Even if the words are crap, they're words you didn't have yesterday. And right. that's good. So I'm, I'm trying with that mindset, I think... I'm approaching it a little bit differently, and I think I'm. Um, I think it's going to go a little bit better. Excellent. Well, and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right because you know anybody can look back at the day that you blew off playing Minecraft or Final Fantasy or whatever your distraction is, and you you couch potatoed it. At the end of the day, you feel like crap. You 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 yeah. you know. But you look at those days where God, I got so much done, and there's there's a swell of achievement at the end of the day uh yeah that's that's a profound uh, revelation absolutely a, a worthy epiphany a worthy epiphany. yeah it, it was it was pretty profound it it, it feels it feels elementary but <laughs> it's it still uh if it, it made a difference to me so i'm i'm trying to respect that that lesson i've i've taught myself and I think if you if you don't yeah. have on some level the desire to kick yourself after you have one of those revelations or epiphanies, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think they have to be one of those things that are just sitting there staring you in the face for like 20 minutes at a party going, would you notice me? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Mur, I want to I want to explore a little bit. I want I want to get squishy on you as I am want squishy. to do squishy stuff. The hard questions that may not have an answer. Uh, <laughs> that's just how we roll sometimes around here. I I have been as as I do in preparation for these interviews. Uh, I I sort of immerse myself in the world of Mur uh, for a while, and I'm I'm examining. Uh, uh, your stories over the last several years. I'm looking at, uh, I was reading an interview about your your initial inspiration for Six Wakes uh, uh, and the idea that there should be rules around clones and legislation and things that, you know, are, are governing the control. So, th- so the question was, how would that work in the real world? If a, if, a, if a succubus wants to get away from it all in New York City, what do they do? How does that work in the real world? You know, what happens when you die? How does that work? And it, it seems to me, Murr, and, and please correct me if I'm going down the absolute wrong rabbit hole, but your stories in general start with a curiosity, uh, uh, something that you know, is a trope uh, of some kind, a generalization, uh, clones, death, uh, uh, demons, whatever. Uh, And then you try to ground it in the real world, whether it's a science fiction world or or a fantasy world. But there's an instinct on your part to then take that broad, squishy, mythic concept and fit it into a template of rational rules and cause and effect and and framework and then kind of just let it roll and inevitably humor follows uh, uh or in the case of six wakes a lot of blood uh, yes <laughs> uh is that a fair assessment of of your creative 
process as as you sit down to start writing stories? No, that that's pretty brilliant. Um, I've never looked at it that way before, but you're absolutely right. I remember, uh, I, I'm not going to give details because it wasn't my idea, but a friend of mine was just today at lunch was talking about an idea she'd had about writing something something fantastic and and it involved a uh, crossbreeding human with with another uh, beastie and I was asking why the human and the beastie would have bred and she explained madness and all that and then but I thought it's like okay well now I want a scene with the half breed human monster and their human love interest and the people at home, the monster and the human that's gone mad trying to like serve tea or something and have a really just domestic scene with the the, the future in-laws. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that's not where this author was going Probably not. Probably not. But, but, you know, I'm thinking, well, if those are the parents and, and th- th- then why not? I mean, if they're still together, what are they doing at home right now? <laughs> Well, so and I think that's it, kind yeah. of the power of, of speculative fiction is the ability for it to rub up, to grind up against those conventions of you know, serving tea for the for your son's girlfriend uh, uh, or, or any of the other elements. And that that's where you certainly find your humor more times than not is in those points where the absurd or the speculative comes crashing uh, amid banana peels and plates uh, uh, into the harsh walls of societal and cultural convention and reality. Yeah, that's I guess that's how I roll. I, like I said, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. That's well, then let's take yeah. it to the next step. Once once you've once you've ground those things together and started uh, uh, applying that imaginative integration of the fantastical with the realistic, then, okay, first question, at what point do you go, okay, now I need to write this? Because as you observed, you've done this probably a hundred times just in the last week alone. (laughs) But none of those are going to end up being stories by Merle Lafferty. It's hard to say. Lately, the stories I write are things that just get lodged in my mind. stuff that won't go away and sometimes things will sit there for years and right now i'm doing a very absurd cop story for my patreon supporters that uh i've been wanting to write for years and i wrote up a proposal for it my agent's like yeah this is super weird let's (laughs) let's focus on something else i don't think i can sell this and i'm like yeah i still want to write it so i'm writing it for the patreon supporters um god bless patreon publish it i know (laughs) that's awesome so persistence, basically, I, I, if it if it sticks around long enough, if it can endure the tide of normalcy and routine uh, that washes over all of us and still yeah. become a shining, creative, interesting thing, you're in. Yeah, pretty much. If I, if I find myself continuing to think about it after a while, and, and it's weird that since I've gotten older, the idea of spending years on an idea doesn't scare me anymore. But it, it should because I'm getting older and, and, and I don't have as much time to write it. So I don't know. It's it's a weird concept of time that I have. But I have a couple of books that have been in my head for a couple of years. And, yeah, I've tried to write proposals for them and it hasn't gone well because, as I said, I write crappy proposals. So 
I might be turning to some of those either for my agent on a, on a spec piece or for Patreon supporters to self-publish eventually. But yeah, I, I, I guess I just wait to see which idea will stick in the head and, and make itself <laughs> if it lasts that long with me, then I think that I can probably do it justice. Awesome. Excellent. Plus, your subconscious has clearly been chewing on it for all that time. So exactly. one, once you dive in, there's going to probably be some rich story food. So then what's the next step? The, the, the persistence has endured. You realize, crap, <laughs> I've got to write this, uh, uh, whether it's for my Patreon uh, uh, subscribers or or. Uh, proposal or whatever so what's the next step for you once you've committed and invested mm, what's the word i'm looking for your dedication to to come to commence the craft what's the next step well it's funny that you asked that because i i don't know because <laughs> like i said i'm just now starting to do the mindset that i'm gonna have to write a book on spec again like right. like beginning authors do and Recently, a lot of my ideas have gone into I, other people's intellectual property. You know, we we all own book burners together, but right. uh, it it's still it, even though it's a shared sandbox, it still doesn't feel like mine because you know it's it's mine and Max's and Margaret's and Brian's and Andrea's. So right. Um, and Star so Wars ideas, certainly isn't yours. Exactly. Star Wars <laughs> definitely isn't mine. So I come up with ideas and I throw them at the editor, and she tells me whether you know, she thinks they'll fly or not. So, um, recently it's been more of a concept of what, <laughs> what somebody else thinks will work. I find it interesting because as you have discovered, as you crossed that threshold from you know, wannabe writer to, to someone who is in the marketplace and therefore subject to the whims of those individuals, be they editors or publishers or whatever, we want you to write X story. And then you already have a framework. You don't need to conjure anything. This is going to be a Star Wars story. This is going to be a book burners thing. Here's the framework. And your creative muse has something to work with. Yeah. But for like yeah, your that's, nano project really... this year, you don't have that, do you? No, no, I not for my, my personal project. And really that's, like I said, I, I have the oomph of NaNoWriMo to help keep me going. But <laughs> I just have to remind myself that if I want to put out another book by me in my world of an IP that I own, I'm going to have to get my butt in gear. Yeah. And sometimes you can, and by you, I mean me, feel like a working writer <laughs> by doing stuff and turning it in and the checks come in. But, you know, I haven't written any, I haven't written an original thing in a couple of years because I finished Six Wakes a while ago and it came right. out in January. And, and, you know, I've lost some confidence because of all of the proposals that I've written that have been either rejected or not even gotten past my agent because she didn't think that they were saleable. One of the sad truths about writing is the first sale is not the hardest. <laughs> it, it, it stays hard. And, you know, once you sell one, when you don't sell anything, you're, you're unknown and you're exciting. You could be anything. Right. You're, you're Schrodinger's cat. And once they open the box and find the dead cat, then you're the, you've already published. You didn't earn out your advance. You want to keep writing, but are they going to take the dead cat? I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, Dave. I'm sorry. But really, it's just it's, it's the performance of your first book and then the idea of the new book. And, I mean, there's just so many moving parts to sure. make you 
to to decide whether they're going to pick up your book again. So I've had a little bit of crisis of confidence in recent years. So I was frankly surprised when Six Wakes sold. So I'm having to find that and find confidence in my own ideas and move forward. So back to praising NaNoWriMo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, so many of us on our side of that publishing wall uh, look at that first sale as, you know, King Arthur drawing the sword from the stone and I will be king of England. Yeah, bitches. And as so many have discovered, it's just it, it's the first step of a, a process that has no set paths, has no or, or rather has a thousand different paths with a thousand intersections along the way to to expect everything to be easy. And this goes back to the work thing. You're happy when you work. Focus on that and and yeah. move on from there. Now, Mer, you have a strong uh, uh, discovery writer streak in you, as I recall. You're, oh yes, you're not a, you're not a big prepper in advance. No, no, this is why I'm I why I think I'm not good at selling books on proposal. Ah, um, because you haven't told yourself the story yet. Exactly. I I for example. The book I'm working on now, this is the third time I've started it, and I think I've let it marinate my head long enough to know exactly where I want to go with it, or rather in what direction I want to go. So I've been working on that, but knowing I have to get these two people to the space station and through customs and then look for a place to stay. That's A, B, and C. Well, I did not realize until they were in line that someone was going to have a major medical incident right in front of them. (laughs) Until I was writing it. And I'm like, oh, crap, I have a new character, and he's in trouble, and one of my characters wants to save him, and the other one wants nothing to do with it. And where's he going to fit in the story? I have no idea, but now I have this character. I did not anticipate. He wasn't in any of the outlines that I had tried to write for this thing. There's just this guy and he's got a lot of medical problems right now. And he's alone on a space station full of aliens and he might need some help. And this does not fit into my plot at all, but he's there now. And I'm not the kind of person that says, Oh, my characters speak to me. I do not hear my characters voices in my head. But when I'm writing, things will come up that I did not anticipate. And I think that is one of the strengths I have, which is why it's very difficult for me to sell on proposal or outline, because I can't make those discoveries while I'm just writing three paragraphs in very vague, vague, broad terms. Yes, sure. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, your story, your characters may not be speaking to you, Murr, but clearly the story is. You know, as you say, your story has marinated in your subconscious for quite a while. And apparently that medical emergency in the customs line, there's a reason for that. It's, we're, we're kind of crossing over from craft into faith and religion yeah. uh, as, as far as that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, Murr... <laughs> The, 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 the clock has, has pulled a red lightsaber, which cannot be good. Uh, uh, and it means we're out of time. Um, but everybody here at the Archivist Podcast Network is 
absolutely pulling for you and cheering, uh, whether it's 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 on November 30th at midnight, because by God, we will tick down that last second to catch some words. We absolutely wish you the best and are looking forward to discovering why that medical emergency just had to happen in the customs line. That's I'm I'm intrigued and I know our listeners are too, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Dave. You're always fun to talk to, and you're always so busy at cons, and it makes me sad. I, I know, I know. But we always find an intersection, usually at the bar, That's true. <laughs> to sit That's down true. And, and chat and get caught up. And and podcasting is another wonderful opportunity to create those intersections. So I'm True. I'm, uh, friends, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you gleaned some some wonderful story tools to tuck in your toolbox from that 20-esque minutes of conversation with Mer Lafferty. Um, I'm here to tell you there's, there's, there's more to come because in the algorithm that is the Archivos Podcast Network, uh, we're going to bring Mer back. And I'm going to be back, and we're going to add to that equation a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who is going courageous, to... Courageous, that's a good word. It's a great word. I love that word. But it's 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 going to happen, and it's going to be fabulous. It's also going to be in seven days, which is a long damn time, I know. So normally I have Marie give you your assignment for to fill the time productively. Here, here's my suggestion to you. Um, whether you are a, a architect or a gardener, uh, an outliner or a discovery writer, um, I want at some point, you know, if you're nanoing, there's a glorious opportunity for this, but even if you're not, just sit down and write a scene without preparation, without anticipation. Set up a, set up a series of events and just in your head say, Go. Disable the, the the inner editor. Disable all of the reasons why this is a waste of time or, or you could be doing so many more productive things. Explore a creative path for a half hour without any constraint and see where it takes you. See if the story starts to talk to you or if, if that's just way too weird. Uh, uh, see if you discover something about the story that you didn't know 30 minutes ago and chalk that up as a win because any discovery that you make about your story is food for the word machine that will get you to your 50,000. And that is, of course, the goal this month. We'll be back in seven days. I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow, look for the awesome, look for 50,000 words. And so help me, if you look for them, you will find them. In seven days, we'll be back. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Insights is copyright 2017 by Wonderthink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, 
visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.